Hi, and thanks for listening to Ask the Pastor, a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. Today's question comes to us from Owen, and Owen asks, how should Christians address homosexuality? The subject of Owen's email to me was, gays burn in hell, but murderers are redeemed, question mark. And his email said this, If being gay truly is a sin, why is it so much worse than other sins? Why is it that if you tell a lie, masturbate, have sex before marriage, etc., things that are conscious decisions, God forgives you. But if you unwillingly love someone of the same gender, you will never be welcome into heaven. If God is so good, if he welcomes us as we are, why is my default unforgivable? And um, I really appreciated this email from Owen. Uh, if you're listening, thank you for sending it. And uh, because I knew how long it may take me to get to a podcast episode, I went ahead and sent him an email in response. And uh, with the hope and the intention of sitting down and recording this um, for the wider Ask the Pastor community later. But um, what I'd like to do here on the podcast is two things. First of all, I'd, I'd like to read that email reply that I sent to Owen for you. Um, and then secondly, I want to unpack uh, my email and, and uh, my thoughts there to him just a little more thoroughly by suggesting seven overarching principles that I think we Christians ought to keep in mind when we're approaching a conversation like this one with Owen. So here is my reply to him. I said, hi, Owen. Thank you so much for reaching out and for your question about homosexuality. Thank you especially for being so honest and vulnerable in sharing your own personal feelings on this. This is, of course, a very personal and sensitive topic, so I would definitely be open to discussing it in a more personal manner, with you over the phone, Zoom, in person, etc., if that would be helpful. But as far as a quick email appropriate response goes, I would simply like to say from a biblical standpoint, uh, six things. Number one, being gay is not so much worse than other sins, as you write. I apologize for any church or Christians that have made you think or feel that way. Number two, God does not forgive lying, masturbation, etc., i.e. conscious decisions as you label them, unless a person has truly repented, i.e. turned away from that sin and back to the light. Number three, I do wonder if it is possible to, quote, unwillingly love someone. Love requires a degree of closeness, vulnerability, intimacy that is not really possible unless two people have already made willing, quote, conscious decisions to move toward one another. The question is, if God deems a certain type of relationship inappropriate, whether it be a same-sex relationship or an out-of-bounds heterosexual relationship, for example, a Christian becoming intimate with a non-Christian or a married person becoming intimate with someone other than their spouse, then the question is, are we going to listen to and obey God or follow our feelings? 
Number four, nowhere does the Bible say that people who fight same-sex attraction, quote, will never be welcome into heaven. And I apologize again for any church or Christians that have made you think or feel that way. Number five, as you say, God is so good that he, quote, welcomes us as we are, and yet he also loves us too much to leave us that way. You don't have to fix yourself before trusting in him. We can't. Only God can fix us. And yet God's desire is to grow us in godliness from the moment of our salvation until the moment that we go home to be with him. Number six, your, quote, default sexuality is not unforgivable. Owen, we all struggle with defaults that we must lay on the altar each and every day. I am sometimes tempted to move toward attractive women who aren't my wife. You may be tempted to move toward men in a similar way. We both have to decide if we are going to trust God's word that he knows what is best for us and our sexuality. But your default, that urge in and of itself is not sinful. Even Jesus was tempted as we are and yet without sin. It's Hebrews 4.15. God, however, promises to, quote, make a way for us to escape temptation. It's 1 Corinthians 10.13. And Christ himself is that way of escape. Only if our love for Jesus is stronger than our, quote, default urges, can we ever hope to overcome temptation. Lastly, I'm saying a prayer for you this afternoon, Owen. God really is good. Jesus really does love you. And I would love to continue this conversation with you and welcome you to join us any Sunday here at West Hills. God bless you, Pastor Will. And Owen actually did reply to my email and he thanked me for my words and he shared even more personal details about his upbringing, how he was disowned by his religious parents, how much anger This had inspired within him toward the Christian church. But maybe the saddest thing that he shared with me was this line of his email. He said, thus far, you are the first pastor not to condemn me. It is greatly appreciated. That's so sad. And yet I thank God that he gave me the opportunity to have this conversation with Owen, a stranger. Now, I'd like to use, as I said, my exchange here as a launching point for unpacking seven uh, short but important principles that I think every Christian needs to keep in mind when we're navigating this difficult subject. Number one, right out of the gate, this isn't just a subject, a topic, an issue. This is personal. Everybody all of us knows someone who identifies as LGBTQ+. If you don't, then you need more friends. And I would say more non-Christian friends specifically, but that's not even the case here anymore because more and more Christians uh, are identifying as either same-sex attracted, which is you know, the language I, I personally prefer to use in the conversation, or they're identifying explicitly as gay, lesbian, bisexual. And again, I'm not just talking about progressive Christians who celebrate their non-heterosexuality. I'm talking about even 
Orthodox Christians who understand what God says about homosexuality, and yet they uh, are owning up to their sexual identity, and as I suggested, Owen laying it on the altar before the Lord. But whatever that LGBTQ plus friend or family member, neighbor, coworker, whatever they might think about their own sexual preferences and identity. The fact of the matter is that we're, we're not just discussing opinions or arguments here. We're talking about people like real made in the image of God with infinite dignity and worth people. And so as Christians, we can't miss that. May it not be said of, of this church of West Hills that we would ever reduce people to faceless issues or dehumanize them. This, this is a matter of the heart Bible even affirms that, just how deep and personal our sexuality is to us. We'll talk about that in a minute, but we need to treat it as such and treat it with sensitivity and care and compassion. Number two, uh, the Bible does, that said, it does condemn homosexual practice. That's very clear in Genesis 19, 1 through 11, Leviticus 18, 22, and Leviticus 20, 13. But all over the New Testament as well, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, 1 Timothy 1, 10, Romans 1, 26, 27. Um, perhaps, like me, you've seen LGBTQ tracks, if you want to call them that, entitled, What Jesus Said About Homosexuality, and you open up the little pamphlet and it's blank inside, as if to suggest that Jesus didn't say anything specifically about homosexuality. Some people think of themselves as, quote, red-letter Christians, like the red letters, what Jesus said, are the, the only really important parts of the Bible. Obviously, at West Hills, that's not how we view God's Word, but um, even if that were the case, uh, actually, even Jesus in Matthew 19 affirmed the creation order designed by God of one woman and one man leaving their families to become, quote, one flesh with one another. And One flesh is explicitly uh, sexual um, you know, innuendo, if you want to call it that. Now, liberal scholars and, and activists have gone to great lengths in recent years to try and make these passages say something they don't, or maybe more to the point to make these passages not say something that they do. Namely, that a man having sex with a man or a woman having sex with a woman is an abomination to God. But it's very clear, biblically, that that's the case. And if we are called to exegete, if we're called to read out of the text of the Bible and not to eisegete, not to read our own preferences and presuppositions into the text, then any plain sense reading of all of those above texts is going to rightfully leave us with the impression that God does not approve of homosexual practice because he doesn't. Number three, whether or not one is, quote, born with same-sex attraction, nature, or whether it is more of a product of one's environment and one's nurturing and, and upbringing, or, that makes no difference. And just a little bit of an aside here, point number three, but I think sometimes Christians have in the past gotten sidetracked by this issue. It's a non-issue. Um, we don't need to get sidetracked by it. this idea of, you know, is there a gay gene or are people really born that way? It doesn't matter. 
And so it's, it's not a point that's worth debating and getting sidetracked by because the truth is that there are tons of things that we may very well be born with, proclivities toward, even genes for, that are that way and they may feel, quote, natural to us, but it's only because we live in fallen, original sin-filled bodies in a broken, fallen world that doesn't make those desires, those urges, those proclivities good. Natural for the Christian does not equal good, at least um, not, yeah, in the way that sometimes the the world would have you to to believe you know that if you feel it if it, if it's natural that then it must be good you can look at any number of examples to the contrary i'll just give you one really in your kind of in your face one is circumcision the idea of circumcision in in the old testament god let boys be born with foreskins and yet he declared you know what that is a part of you that i want to cut off it's very natural. Every every boy is going to be born with a foreskin, and yet uh, I'm I'm commanding you to to cut it off, as almost a reminder that uh, of original sin and of the fact that just because something's natural to us doesn't make it good. Number four, <clears throat> there are many forms of disordered sexuality, all of which are a result of the fall of Genesis chapter three. So. I think this is an important, you know, one of the more important uh, principles to stress is that, you know, again, sometimes the church has put homosexuality on some sort of different level um, that the Bible doesn't really necessarily treat it as. Um, There are all sorts of examples of, of disordered sexuality and brokenness, you know. Think of hypersexuality, you know, the, the person who wants to have sex with everyone and every walking thing that they see. Think of asexuality, the person who experiences no sexual drive. That's a, that's a form of brokenness. You know, sexuality is a good gift from God that you know, we are supposed to um, experience. Um, and so there's, there's any number of different ways that, that we experience brokenness in that part of our, our sexuality. And yet, um, I think one of the things that we need to understand from a, a biblical, a Christian worldview is that, you know, those, those forms <clears throat> of disordered sexuality are not things that we celebrate as, as Christians. You know, we, we lament that, um, we, we, we pray for God's healing from, uh, all kinds of disorder and, and, and brokenness, whether in our sexuality or, um, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so, um, you know, when we were looking at something like Pride Month, you know, that's something that as, as Christians, you know, we don't, we don't celebrate um, these, these disordered um, desires and, and proclivities. Uh, we, 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 we pray and we bring those before the Lord. Number five, this is another thing that Christians often get wrong, and I do think it's important in the conversation, is that all sins are not equal. The, the idea that you hear sort of promulgated in the church world sometimes that, uh, you know, all, all sins are equal and, you know, no one's a worse sinner than anyone else or whatever. These, these are misinterpretations of passages like James 2.10 and Romans 3.23 that we're all sinners. And, 
you know, just because we're all sinners doesn't mean that all sin is on the same level. And actually, God's word is very clear that all sins are not equal. Jesus said um, that the person who handed him over to Pilate, Judas, was guilty of a, quote, greater sin than Pilate himself. In John 19, Jesus drew distinctions between a speck in your eye and a plank in your eye, Matthew 7, 3. Jesus said it would be more bearable on the judgment day for some than for others, Matthew 11, 21, 22. In the Old Testament, when God's people rebelled against him, God revealed the sins of Israel in three stages to the prophet Ezekiel, and each of those stages of Israel's sin was, quote, more detestable than the previous ones. More detestable, Ezekiel 8, 6 through 16. Mark chapter 3, Jesus talks about the unforgivable sin, and 1 John 5, um, John writes about a, a sin that leads to death and then other sins that don't. The Old Testament has this idea of a high-handed sin for which there's not even a sacrifice proposed. And so you can just go on and on and on biblically about how you know, actually yeah, there's lots of biblical distinctions made between sin and types of sin and consequence and, and severity. But the one that's uh, important for our conversation here is... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, which says this, Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so... LGBTQ activists are right about uh, this much that there really is something uniquely deep and personal and intimate about our sexuality. You know, they they go too far in claiming that you know, our sexuality is definitive of who we are. It it isn't, and it shouldn't be. It's it's one part of us. It's not completely. Uh, Definitive and, and that sort of identity, you know, politics or whatever you want to call it. Um, but at the same time, 1 Corinthians 6 does clearly make a distinction here between sexual and non sexual sin. And it says that because our bodies were designed to be temples of the Holy Spirit, that therefore um, internal sexual sin is on a different level. It's, it's still not unforgivable. You can go read Mark chapter 3, where Jesus talks about the unforgivable sin. It's not homosexuality, um, but sexual sin at the same time is, uh, for that matter, uh, because of God's design for us to be his temple, the Holy Spirit, sexual sin, all, all kinds of sexual immorality. Uh, first, first Corinthians 6 here isn't just talking about homosexuality. In fact, it's, it's talking more specifically about uniting your members with a prostitute, he says. Um, but, but sexual immorality, sexual sin in general is uniquely grievous in God's eyes. And we need to, we need to take that seriously. And yet, point number six is that we really are all sinners, Romans 3.23, and we are called to focus most on the log in our own eye, more so than on the specks or logs in other people's eyes. And again, that's Matthew chapter 7, passage that many of us will be very familiar with. Who are we to, to, to judge another? You know, we need to, to remove the log in our own eye first so that we can help others see the speck in their eyes. And uh, 
this is just one that um, Christians have gotten so badly wrong when it comes to the issue of homosexuality for so, so long. Uh, there's so little confession. There's so little um, kind of leading with our own brokenness and our own sin and owning up to the fact that, you know, uh, I, I am the chief of sinners. Um, even when it comes to, you know, this, this area of kind of sexuality that I have all sorts of, you know, brokenness in, in this own area from my own past and, and um, baggage and, and things that I've gone through and dealt with and, and, and still residually sort of remain as temptations to me. And um, that for that matter, you know, I, I need to be very uh, slow to, to judge anyone else. I need to, to uh, you know, confess and, um, and focus most on, you know, my own brokenness, even though we're going to be unapologetic about um, you know, being clear about what God's position on the issue of, of homosexuality is as well. But we may it not be said that, that we in the church continue this pattern of, uh, let's really call it what it is, scapegoating. You know, I think Christians have turned homosexuality, this issue, into a, a scapegoat um, and, and actually an excuse to avoid our own sin. We say, well, that that seems so unnatural, so egregious, so foreign, so so weird and icky, or whatever we think it is, that um, you know we're going to latch on to that and focus on that, and just you know make this sort of our, our pet issue and our hobby horse issue, and get out our soapboxes and, and just rail against uh, you know the, the 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 tide of the culture that's you know, affirming, accepting and normalizing and all of that. And we're, we're going to just focus on this so much for the sake of, you know, so that we don't have to focus on ourselves and our own issues. And there's so many, and this is an issue in the church as well. So yes, we do need to, do need, do need to speak to it and address it. But if we're going to put the right proportionality of, of emphasis on issues, you know, this is one that a lot of heterosexual Christians, frankly, have just scapegoated, and they've they spent a lot of time looking at the speck in other people's eyes. Uh, finally, number seven, we are called to love people right where they're at, and to love them enough to want holiness for them at the same time. So we're called, like the Lord, to love people right where they're at, and also to love them so much that we want holiness for them. We want godliness for them. And, and yet, even as I say that second half, that we, we want people to draw close to God and, and uh, sanctification to be more like God because we know that's what's best for them. We know that's what's best for us. Uh, we need to recognize that without saving faith in Christ, holiness is impossible. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so... If you're trying to minister to a gay friend or family member by convincing them not to be gay or even just touching on this issue at all, I think it's probable that you've got things backwards. The only way that anyone's struggling with any sin, whether it's homosexuality or hypersexuality or asexuality, gossip, selfishness, lust, pride, any sin is ever going to have any chance at changing is by God setting them free from their enslavement to sin because that's what it is. That's Romans 6. We know that if they haven't been spiritually reborn, if they haven't been made into new creations, you and I talking to, to that person about a, a particular sin is like trying to pluck leaves off of a weed. You haven't done anything to address the roots. 
And so that, that, that weed is just going to grow right back. And only God can address our roots. Only God can change our heart and root out our sin at the deepest level and, and change us and give us a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart after his own heart. And so the best thing I want to suggest that you and I can do for that person for any person, whether gay or straight, asexual, bisexual, you know, everything in between. The best thing we can do is to simply love people, to pray for them, that God would would touch their hearts and change them, and to be available that if and when people do approach us, uh, Christians, to be available to discuss things in a caring, yes, unapologetically biblical, and yet lead with our own sin. I'm a chief of sinners kind of way. If God really did design us and if God really does know what's best for us, not just for our souls, but for our sexualities as well, for every part of us, then LGBTQ plus issues don't need to be something that Christians should feel like we have to avoid or be ashamed of in conversation what the Bible has to say, because we worship a good God who created us and who knows us and knows what's best for us. Um, he, he knows our brokenness, and He even allows it at times for His own glory. You know, sometimes God gets even more glory from proving that He can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. And so He allows all sorts of brokenness to remain in this world for His own glory. And we in the church need to just simply keep pointing people back to Him, to the great author and lover of our souls and of our sexualities and pray for them as we do. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online through our website at westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.